Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hi, welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're joined by Jim Marus. You know, he doesn't need an introduction, right? I mean, it's probably the most influential fintech influencer that you can get on the podcast, especially in America. So I let him introduce himself and his latest activities, and we jump right into it. Jim, you're a speaker, author, publisher, and a podcast host. Anything else? How does it all fit together? You know, each day is an adventure um, and the priorities switch as the days, uh, as the calendar turns. But uh, yeah, I've got a lot of irons in the fire. I'd like to think of myself as a a digital media company where not only do I write a a couple days a week for the financial brand, but also I have the digital banking report, which right now we're undertaking six very extensive surveys around um, and building reports around post-COVID activities in the banking, retail banking world. And as you said, I'm also the uh, podcast host for the podcast Banking Transform. So in some ways, they connect because a lot of my guests for the podcast become um, are coming from the articles and the insights that we have at the financial brand. And a lot of the reports I'm writing, we include some of the transcripts from the podcast because you know, I'm really lucky as, as you are to, to meet a lot of ni- just amazing people on the podcast to give you insights that you would not get in the traditional press release. So it's a balancing act, to say the least. Um, the days are, are different than many in that because I post on a Monday for the financial brand, my Sundays are a work day, but Fridays are a little less hectic in many cases. And uh, you go with the calendar. But right now, you know, with COVID and everything, there's just so much change in the banking world. There's not any lack of things to talk about. Right. And Digital Banking Report recently came out with its Digital Transformation Report, right, which says the most successful transformation efforts are led by CEO or CDO. So how do you see the pandemic affecting these efforts and the management views? Are more of them now finally ready to embrace digitalization Rather than they, yeah, rather than maybe sometimes pretend they are doing it, but you know, not really believing in it. And uh, why do you think it's the case? Well, you know what, I, I talk about the fact that you know, in early March, we really had an opportunity to see which organizations truly were embracing digital and which ones were just faking digital. Right. And in many cases, we found that organizations thought they were providing digital capabilities by simply having the ability to do something on a mobile app or on, a, on an online app. And the reality is when we did research into the, the, the customer journey, we found that most organizations that said they had a digital capability still required the consumer to come into a branch to complete the process. Maybe it's a know your customer scenario or a funding scenario or a signing of a, a document. And so the reality was it really wasn't digital. And, you know, overnight, financial institutions that didn't have the capabilities to fully engage with a consumer digitally got caught. 
And, you know, when we talk about the whole process of digital transformation and any element having to do with digital banking, I think one thing we're finding through our research, and as I mentioned, we're right now in the process of updating six different reports with information that's come out of COVID, but certain things become universal truths. Number one is no organization can be digital until they get into the functionality of how they do banking. In other words, what happens behind the scene? If if a digital account opening process takes five to seven minutes, it's not digital. Because the consumer is comparing it to their their app that they're using to maybe make a retail purchase or order food or or, or ordering groceries, which are much right. quicker. Or if they will get on Netflix, they realize that you know a lot of these apps also learn about you over time. So doing digital is not what the customer feels as much as the way you're building it and how the customer can re- interact with that. We've seen through the digital transformation process that the the definition of convenience has changed tremendously. What I mean by that is it's no longer defined by how close the branch is. It's defined by how easy is the app to use? How much does it answer what I'm trying to get answered digitally? And now more importantly, how human is it? How much human interaction can I have if I want it? So you have to really have the blend of the digital plus the human to bring the best solution to the table. And I think what we're also seeing is part of the digital transformation process is innovation and culture. And most importantly is if you don't have an innovation mindset, if your organization is continuously trying to very quickly adjust to marketplace conditions, you're not going to do very well in the digital transformation journey. But that all takes culture and leadership. And unfortunately, many of the traditional financial institutions still have leaders aboard, a leadership from top down, that have been in banking so long, it's hard for them to unthink what they already know and to really embrace what a digital journey is, what digital engagement is, what a digital consumer wants. And certainly since the pandemic, the consumer base of what I'll call digital consumers or digital first consumers has expanded tremendously and, and really across demographic segments. You, right. I mean, that is an amazing point, right? That the CEOs, obviously, they took maybe 20 years to get to the top, right? So how do they unthink or unlearn what, they, what they've been learning for all that time? In Europe, I would say there may be only a handful of banks where you see that the CEO is digital first. It looks like you know, when they wake up in the morning, that's what they think about. But it's only a minority, right? Or that's how it was before the pandemic. So let's see how it turns out now. You're exactly right. And they're surrounded by people that have come up through the ranks with them. So you not only have a, an individual or, a, you know, a couple individuals at the top that, that have legacy banking thinking, but they're surrounded by others that not only think the same way and came up the same way, But many of them are going to be put at risk as you move the organization to a digital organization. I mean, if you're in charge of legacy product development or or in charge of delivery services where most of that has been through traditional branches, anything that we do in the digital world puts their, not only their career, but their entire thought process at risk. And so at the beginning of the pandemic and even before, I was talking about how people really need to embrace change take modified risks and disrupt themselves. They really have to think about 
what do I need to become? Where do I have to go to be part of this digital world? Because what we're seeing is in the same way that the farming industry and the manufacturing industry got disrupted and a lot of people got put out of work or had to adjust their work, we're going to see another phase here where the digital world is going to get rid of a lot of what I would call middle market jobs that relied on tactile or physical engagement. You know, we're already seeing this in retail, but we're starting to see it in banking as well. And so if you want to be a part of the future, either at your organization or anywhere, you really need to put the learning in and, and have lifelong learning about how do I adjust to this? How do I become part of that future? so that I can move my organization and myself forward. So that brings me to the next question. I mean, do you have a view? Who do you think the winners in the financial services will be in the post-COVID world? And what will be the key success factors? I mean, you kind of alluded to it, but it's not limited to traditional banks, but also, you know, non-traditional, let's say, fintechs, right? I think it's really, it's, it's probably the same in financial services as it is in every industry. I think one of the major items that are going to define a winner is, number one, how easy do they make it for the consumer to engage no matter what channel they pick? If they want to go and travel to a branch, how easy to make that process? If the person wants to use a digital or a mobile app, how easy to make that? If a person wants the integration of both digital and a human aspect, How do you do that the most simple way? Because the one element that a consumer wants more than anything else is to make their daily life easier. And this has become a more important factor as COVID has taken over because a consumer only has so many hours in the day. And in many cases, not only are they having to do all the things they used to have to do, but they're having to do it in an environment that is very involved with other parts of their lives. They may have kids who are having to educate as well as entertain. We're finding that the daily work hours have extended by three hours a day just because of all these other elements coming on. But it's made the consumer very aware of what organizations are going to make my life easier. Now, what's a big warning flag is that a traditional financial institution that does not move, does not become more digital, does not become easier to work with, may not initially see any real impact. They may still see the account. Right. Being open. But what's happened is the consumer may have changed many ways that they interacted. In other words, they may have already partnered with a fintech firm to build a digital savings account that takes money out of their traditional bank and into a, a better investment option. They may have engaged with an investment, a robo-advisor or an investment advisor that makes it so their money mate works harder. As in my case, in a small business, Maybe the, in, the consumer or the small business has engaged with a payment option that not only processes all payments, but also all receipts. And that organization is understanding everything about that business. And in my case, PayPal has not only taken in all my receipts and I make all my payments to contractors that way, but they're not now able to offer me digital lending opportunities on a pre-approved basis where if I went to my legacy organization that's, believe me, still believes my relationship has not changed, they would take days or weeks to make the same decision that my, my digital players should be. So I think you not only need the ability to make a consumer's or small business's life easier, but winners will be determined by those organizations that also have a culture 
of giving, sustainability, and social awareness. This is something new. We just did a survey of, of financial institutions and consumers, and we found that the brand value is also very important. So consumers are making decisions as to who they want to work with based on who is willing to work with them, who may be investing in the community, who is making a, a bigger impact on social awareness and maybe diversity within their own workplaces. Financial institutions can be judged based on how much do I want to work with you as an organization as well as how well you're making it easy for me. Right. And uh, you mentioned that you meet a lot of amazing people. You have amazing guests on your podcast, obviously. And uh, some of the innovations, I think, you know, caught your eye and you talked about it like voice control and things like this. So do you have some specific examples of innovations in the financial services that, uh, that you enjoy? Well, you know, it, it, it starts with organizations that are finding gaps in the marketplace that are unmet needs. So we're finding, for instance, I've, I've just gone through a number of interviews with fintech startups that have really found a way to serve the underserved over the or the overcharged consumers that traditional banks just can't serve effectively or efficiently. So we're, we're seeing a lot of startups that have built mobile applications and mobile banks around avoiding overdraft fees, being able to access your money quickly, being able in some cases to get an advance on your paycheck if you don't make the ends meet, which in many cases saves these consumers hundreds of dollars a year through not having to use what we'll call them check cashing facilities or not having to pay fees or fines from their traditional banks. So we're finding certain gaps or marketplaces that are really effective. We found this in the small business area where organizations have been built just to serve the small business, not only from a deposit perspective, but also from a lending perspective. When you're looking at individual apps, what we're finding is a better application of advanced analytics and AI. And some of the things are happening behind the scenes. So the organizations that are helping traditional and non-traditional financial institutions use data more effectively. Because when we just completed a research study, we asked um, financial institutions, how are you adept, inadept, or in the process of using data and AI for personalized experiences? Over 75% of organizations say were, said they were inept at using data and advanced analytics. Well, that's unexplainable and unexcusable from the customer standpoint, a small business customer or a consumer is starting to understand what can be done with data. And if they aren't able to meet that need, if they're not able to develop solutions on a personalized or a real-time basis, they're going to lose. So there's a lot of organizations now serving the financial institutions to provide that service without having to have a complete you know, redo of your back office facilities. You know, there's organizations like Lemonade that is in the States right. and has gone over to the UK as an insurance provider that has found a low-cost way of serving consumers digitally. But even their business model is different where they say, we will partner with our, our, our members, our, our insured. And if you do not make claims, anything that is anything that our company makes over a certain amount will be donated to charity. Well, what that does is it changes the mindset of the insured consumer that says, do I really want to make this false claim against a big behemoth organization or 
What I'd rather have Lemonade donate what is not turned into to claims for for social causes. So we're seeing different positionings of organizations, which is extraordinarily exciting. And then you have organizations such as Locatia Bank that has built a, a digital open banking app for the Gen Zs and even younger. And some of it doesn't have anything to do with banking. But what they've done is it's in, in this open banking environment, they have built a revenue model that depends on outside players to fund the relationship with this segment of consumers. And as they move towards starting to use banking services, the overall business case for the for the organization is very strong. And they're making these relationships before most of these consumers even are thinking about banking accounts. And you say, well, geez, how does that make money? Well, the reality is the money is being made by third parties that want to talk to this segment as opposed to the segment itself. So we're seeing new revenue models coming into play. You know, I, I, I think all these are very exciting in that they're meeting unmet needs, but in a way that is extraordinarily efficient. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to hear your keynote at FinTech Talents uh, North America out of New York, uh, even though virtually this year. And I uh, just wanted to ask you, obviously, you run the financial brand, you run uh, Banking Transformed and Digital Banking Report. What is the best way to find out about it? I mean, of course, a lot of people follow it, but if they are new to this, uh, is there a newsletter that you that you prefer or a, subscri- a subscription or how do they find about all these activities and resources that you provide to the community? Well, number one, the financial brand is the largest publication for the financial institutions that is free. We're second biggest in the world and second biggest in the U.S. after the American banker, but Unlike the American banker, we, we do not have a charge for our insights. And what we do is we write about retail banking on a daily basis to provide you an idea of not only what's going on in the marketplace, but why should you care? So it's a great resource for retail bankers. We, we go over all the research reports that are being uh, produced out there and give you a perspective as to why should you care about these things to kind of call out what's important and what's not. The Banking Transform podcast is published every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And I've really been very fortunate to be able to interview some of the leaders in the marketplace, not only in the banking world, but in the business world. People like Gary Vaynerchuk, the the social media guru. Um, People like Tom Peters, the management consultant from way back in the days when I was uh, uh, young and uh, doing banking. And, and, and people like Steve Wozniak giving perspectives on what's going on in the digital world, what's going on in the banking world. And we're also, as, I, as you mentioned, interviewing a lot of innovators and uh, fintech firms that are doing some really exciting things in the banking world. And again, we're focused on retail banking primarily. And finally, the digital banking report. The digital banking report, we actually, I wouldn't say shut down, but we did very little research between February and July because... Everything was changing so fast that we were concerned that as soon as we produce a report, it'd be outdated. But we're com- we have a series of six reports that are coming out in about a three and a half month period. So we're doing almost a full years of publishing in three months. We've already published our um, future of work in banking, which goes over how the whole dynamic of working at home has impacted banking overall. We also just published our state of financial marketing report and coming up is our digital account opening and lending our innovation in banking, our digital transformation report, our report on payments, and also our trends and prediction report that comes out annually at the end of the year to give people an idea of what's going on. The digital banking report is a a subscription-based report, 
but we also offer certain of the reports for free on an ongoing basis. Great. Well, thank you very much, Jim. And uh, as I said, looking forward to hear more at the event. I am also. Thank you very much for having me on the show. In this segment, we're going to talk to Sarika, who is a global head of strategy and marketing for financial services and Pinterest. And we're going to find out about what does Pinterest have to do with financial services or fintech and why does it make all sense? So how are you, Sarika, today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. So are you looking forward to the virtual event uh, in New York in a couple of days? I am. I, I sometimes wish that it could be in person. I'm missing human connection, but um, but thrilled that we that we still get to meet virtually. As I said, you're the global head of strategy and marketing for financial services and Pinterest. So what does that mean? What does that entail? What's your personal or your team's mandate? Yeah, great question. Um, so as you mentioned, I sit on Pinterest vertical strategy team, and that team actually resides within our marketing organization. Um, and I personally lead up our financial services vertical and have a variety of other colleagues who lead up um, other verticals as well. Um, each of us each probably have somewhere between 10 to 15 years experience um, within the industry that we lead. Um, and the goal of our team is really to work across marketing, sales, and insights to drive scaled understanding around what the unique opportunity is that brands have at an industry-specific level on our platform. Um, and really to kind of accomplish and achieve that scale. As vertical strategists, we use channels like this, speaking at conferences, events, and podcasts to help people, again, understand the unique and differentiated value um, that Pinterest offers to their to their industry. And, and if I were to kind of articulate it in just a quick sentence, I'd say it's our job to articulate the aha for why Pinterest is unique and differentiated and whether that's financial services, retail, automotive, travel, or anything in between. Right. So I'm very curious to, to hear that. For some people, this is, is not an obvious choice. So we'll find out more as we go along. I mean, how did you get to do what you do today at Pinterest and why Pinterest for you? Great. Um, yeah, happy to answer that. So I spent majority of the last decade at American Express in various brand and marketing positions. One of the most recent roles I held was on the global social media and digital strategy team, where I was responsible for leading American Express's partnership with a variety of social platforms, including Pinterest. And during that specific role at American Express, I started to become very intrigued by the potential that I thought Pinterest offered as a full funnel marketing solution for FinServe advertisers. And I'd, I'd really say there are two specific things that I was most fascinated by. First was that consumers actually come to Pinterest with intent to buy. So that to me is just very different than many other platforms where people may come to scroll or connect with friends. This is actually a platform where people come and they want to buy things. They want to use their financial services products to purchase things to, to make their lives better. And I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And the second thing that I thought was really fascinating about the platform is that branded pins are actually considered content, not ads. So advertising is actually uh, not an interruption to the user experience. It's actually uh, a source of inspiration and additive. And, and to me, frankly, that combination of intent to buy and ads as content was magical. And I, I sort of feel it's, it's the future of advertising. 
And then I just quickly add that in addition to loving the platform, um, you know, as uh, on the client side and and using it um, for American Express, I, I loved it even longer on a personal level. And I've used Pinterest to plan every moment, big and small in my life, whether it was planning every detail of my wedding to uh, picking out what cake I'm going to make for my daughter's birthday to how to decorate my home. Um, and I've just seen the value that the platform can provide um, on a personal level. Um, and now I'm just excited because as the head of vertical strategy and marketing for this um, for the FinServe sector, I just get to talk with ex- industry experts and people like yourselves um, about what I think is so special about this platform. Right. So one way to describe Pinterest is that it's a visual search engine for people who are looking for inspiration for events like parties, weddings, and home decorating, just like you mentioned in your case. So obviously, that means financial services brands can target consumers who are displaying clear signals about these live moments. And uh, so how do you work with those financial services companies to build partnerships where sometimes Pinterest may not be their obvious choice to begin with? Okay, so I love this question, because I feel like this is exactly why I was hired. Prior to joining the company, there hadn't yet been a financial services vertical strategist. And essentially, my first responsibility and role was maybe not everyone understands why Pinterest makes sense for financial services. Can you come up with a succinct and concise way to help advertisers understand the opportunity, which is really what I think you just asked me. And I try, I just try to keep things as simple as possible. And, and I would say my, my reason for why Pinterest is three words. It's target, trigger, and trust. And I'll just take a moment to walk you through each of those and why I think um, target, trigger, and trust makes, makes the platform almost just perfect, a secret weapon, if you will, um, for financial services advertisers. First, from a target perspective, what I want to start with is Pinterest has your target audience. Many people don't realize this, but we're the third largest social platform, at least in the United States right now, and we're only behind YouTube and Facebook. We're a really, really large platform, and we're growing. At this point, we're at 416 million monthly active users worldwide. So we've got a lot of scale, which I think not everyone knows, but we not only have a scaled audience, we actually have them in an open planning mindset when they're open to hearing from brands. As I mentioned before, people come to Pinterest and they want to look at branded content to help them make their, you know, their ideas a reality. So we've got your target audience, but we also have them when they want to hear from you. So I think that's pretty special. The second is trigger. And and this really goes back to what you mentioned when you set up this question, which is a lot of people come to Pinterest to plan around life moments, whether it's having a baby, getting married, a home, a home renovation project. And what I can say for my days at American Express is we knew unequivocally through our internal research that these life stage moments are precisely when people are rethinking their financial services products. So people aren't every day waking up thinking, oh, am I going to get a new insurance product? Or, oh, who should I open a a brokerage account with? I mean, that isn't happening on a daily basis. But the minute you get married, the minute you have a baby, um, the minute you get a new job, those are the moments that trigger financial decision making. And Pinterest is is the go-to platform for those moments more so than I believe any other social platform out there. And then the last is trust. Um, You know, the financial services industry has been plagued with trust issues for a long time. I don't know if you're familiar with the Edelman Trust Index, but they basically publish the largest aggregator of trust-based research in the world. 
and they rank the financial services industry as the least trusted industry on the planet. And I think it's just really special that Pinterest is actually the number one most trusted platform for attributes of brand safety, quality content, transparency, and reputation against our seven main competitors. Um, and on top of that, pinners rank financial services content. They, they find financial services content most trustworthy on Pinterest more so than any other platform. So just really succinctly, I'd say Pinterest is a trusted platform that allows you to reach your target audience in trigger moments when your message matters most. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe one add-on question and yeah. a little bit of a detailed example from how Pinterest works, right? I mean, obviously, there are pins there. There are fantastic pictures. And when you search for items, you can easily find them. But what I do find sometimes is that uh, then it's difficult to go and buy that item, right? Yeah. Obviously, you can put a link to the picture when you're uploading a pin, but a lot of people don't do it. Is there any way how to improve it? Because sometimes it's that, that's actually frustrating. You see something fantastic there, but how do I buy it, right? Is yeah. there maybe some, as if there was a facial recognition for items or same thing for the financial services, yeah. you know, how do I go from that moment to actually, you know, click once or twice. Nobody wants to do click more, click more than that these days and uh, get that item or that service. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And what I can say is, you know, I think Pinterest does an excellent job at that sort of top of the marketing funnel, which is like um, bu building brand awareness and even kind of middle of the funnel around consideration. But what you're talking about is sort of that bottom of the funnel. Like, how do you transact? Yeah. How do you how do you get people to take action? And I would say we've got a variety of products that have come out from like um, in, in around retail and shopping where we're really refining that lower funnel capability. And um, without going into too much detail, what I can say, look at our two-year, you know, 18-month, two-year product roadmap, it's all around helping Pinterest refine ourselves to be that full funnel solution. I think someday in the near future, we're going to be having this conversation. And I think you're going to be able to say that Pinterest made it easy for me to transact. And, and what I'd say is for us, you know, everything's about putting the pinner first, putting the consumer first on our platform. And for us, it's less about them needing to transact on our platform. It's only that we want to make sure that if they want to do it right on our platform in one click, like you described, that they have that capability. And if they prefer to have a deeper, longer, you know, look at customer service, look at broader reviews, et cetera, they can always click off. But we want to make sure at the end of the day, in the short term, people can transact on our platform if that's their preferred method. And that's precisely what we're working towards. And I think, again, you're going to start to see that a little bit more in some verticals like retail and CPG, where we're testing that out. And then it will continue to, to, to play out more broadly across other verticals. And, and the last thing I'd say is we do have some clients right now that are working in the lower funnel capacity on our platform, whether it's applying for insurance or um, applying for a credit card product. And we've seen some really positive results. So it's really for us just more about refining the lower funnel process to make it easier and easier and easier for, for pinners. Oh, brilliant. So that's great to hear. Um, now let's turn over to your life within the company. Yeah. You know, how has your life or the life at the Pinterest in general changed both the IPO. Obviously, that's a major step for a successful startup. A lot of people dream about it, right? Or they want yeah. to sell themselves and exit. 
But when you do an IPO, that sometimes has a significant impact on the culture and its people. So have you experienced anything like that at Pinterest? And, you know, do you like bankers now more than before or it's about the same? (laughs) Um, We still like bankers. So I will answer that question first. What what I'd say about the pre-IPO and post-IPO life is I joined Pinterest about four months after the IPO. So I don't have that context of what it was like before or after. But one thing I can say, or at least what I've heard, is um, post-IPO, we've just been able to to grow at a more rapid pace. And I think that's probably, you know, funding that came through that let us hire more people such as myself, you know, bringing in industry experts and just being able to get a little bit more sophisticated about um, about how we can drive more value for, for pinners and drive more value for advertisers. And so I think the biggest change is just having more people, the company growing, growing faster, which is exactly why sort of what I mentioned earlier with us being growing into being the third largest platform in the United States, growing our global monthly users to over 400 million. We're just growing faster than we ever have before. And I think a big part of that is, is having IPO and just having the resources and, and just, you know, more rigor and more thoughtfulness about how we're going to grow this business, because that's exactly what you need to do when you're when you're public. Great to hear, Sarika. I'm looking forward to hear your speech at the FinTech Talents uh, Virtual North America event uh, this year. And uh, my last question is, where do interested parties uh, from financial services or FinTech world can find out more about what Pinterest can do for them? And what's the most efficient way to get in touch? Yeah, great question. So I'm on LinkedIn. So if anybody has any questions about what we talked about today or or anything else, please reach out to me there. But if you're looking for general questions around how a brand, fintech brand, a financial services brand can activate on our platform, um, I encourage you to go to the Pinterest business site. We've got um, some case studies on there, examples of how other brands have done it, lots of uh, just resources for for advertisers to to sort of understand how to get started on our platform and, and, and how to be successful. So I think that's a great starting point. And if you've got anything else, you can always reach out to me personally again on LinkedIn. Great. Well, thank you, Sarika. And uh, good luck to Pinterest and the pinners. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.